things. You can't go home again except if your home is on warp pylons, I guess? I don't know. I don't know quite where I was going with that metaphor to open the show, but this is V'ger Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5, and my name is Joseph. And instead of being with my family, I'm doing cooler stuff with you. I'm your co-host, Peter. Oh, dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before we can get on with it so you can be reunited with your family, Peter, uh, we have to talk about Jack, because we haven't yet. Yeah. And it's, ti- it's time to talk about what Jack brought into the world. If you missed it, if you're listening to the Egypt Please, one of our favorite fans is Dr. Jack. And Dr. Jack was someone that I was suggesting to Peter could serve as our official ombudsman, arbiter, uh, chadish, uh, whatever you want to call it. Because, you know, we've we shown a need for, for someone to arbitrate our disputes between each other, perhaps, uh, you know, enforce punishment on an objective basis. And you rejected this on a the basis of a mistake that he made in regards to Enterprise Shuttlecraft. I, I objected to him being appointed as a judiciary entity over us uh, because we're petty podcasters and the gods of our own domain. <laughs> I mean, there's that too, uh, which I believe Jack was acknowledging in his 28-minute video response. That was, frankly, pure art. It was good. It was... Uh... It was one for the for the for the the books for sure. I mean, Jack created our uh, choose your own adventure game regarding uh, the uh, coworker murder simulator twenty three forty nine. So uh, clearly, he has a pedigree. Why is that not on Steam yet? <laughs> Fucking true story. Why is that not a mobile game? <laughs> and you know, he he responded to your demand that he punish himself. Uh, and then did so via video, uh, but spent 28 minutes showing why he was right the entire time and why you, in fact, were wrong. Mm. I got, we got to have an official response mm. on the record, Peter. Like We have to have official response on the record. I I went above you, to be honest. I went above you. I declared him our Chadish. I declared her our arbiter, uh, executive privilege on the fact that I have control the social media group. Yeah. Oh. And uh, I, I'm, you owe a response here. Jack, you made a rookie mistake. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm also saying I'm not wrong because what you've done is you've gone back and you've looked at documentation that shows what you think to be a docking pylon that is able to extend and anchor the ship and not in fact an escape hatch or whatever, and you start going into this footage where you're trying to show CGI of this and that happening and bringing physics into it, and you're using this out of a TV show that told us we can't use phasers at warp and then uses phasers at warp all the time. The fucking people making these shows don't know how this shit works. The VFX people don't know how this shit works. (laughs) All right? I'm not saying you're wrong. Maybe that's not a docking hatch, but the thing is you can't tell me the 100% that these guys don't know that either. I think the closest we can get to any sort of official documentation on this is probably the fucking Eagle Moss action figures. And I was going to buy the shuttle pod just to commemorate this. But Eagle <laughs> Moss is out of business. That's what happens when you get in bed with Star Trek merchandise in the year 2022. You die on your sword. So I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm right. Who knows? Directors don't know. Bram Braga doesn't know. 
Nobody knows this. It's a it's a Fugazi. It's Enterprise. There's a reason why nobody likes this shit. <laughs> great video though. Great video though. Yeah, great video. If you haven't seen it, it's uh, on the Facebook group and on the Discord. And you should help yourself to the best content created about V'ger, please. I guess we'll say. And uh, thank again, Jack, our new Chadish. Uh, for his uh, his his contribution, and we look forward to you continuing to serve as the uh, the arbiter in our discussions. Speaking of those discussions, what are we reviewing this week, Peter? We're getting into season two, episode twenty. Hmm. See, I've been calling it season two. It's not season poo for a while. Uh, written by Andre Baramis, directed by James A. Conter, and universe date is twenty one fifty three. And what is the name of the episode? Horizon, which would just so happen to be the name of the, what was it, uh, Earth Cargo, E-G what? It's E-C-S, Earth Cargo Ship Horizon. Earth Cargo Authority, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and it's part of the Earth Cargo Authority. So we have taken arguably one of the lowest points of the cast, I'm sorry, of the crew, and that would be, of course, a uh, brutal neck and neck competition between Reed and Mayweather. And this is uh, the first dedicated Mayweather episode we've had since. God, when? The last time they ran into the, f- the freaking space, space truckers. truckers? <laughs> was there an episode this season where Mayweather was the main character? Let's run through it real fast. Season two. Shockwave. No. Carbon Creek. No. Minefield. No. Dead stop. He was a focal point, but not the main character. Night in sickbay. No marauders. No, the seventh. No, he was the, the MVP com- of the seventh, but not the he focus. was, but not the focus. The communicator. No, uh, singularity. No, vanishing point. No, precious cargo. No, catwalk. Again, an important part, but not the focus. Dawn, stigma, ceasefire, all knows, future tense, uh, con Aramar. The Crossing, all knows. Judgment, no. I don't think I can tell you any other character in Star Trek as neglected as this guy. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's, 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 episode 20 of season two. This is the first time he is the primary character. Now, it's hard to say that's the wrong decision, though. <laughs> you go back to season one season two neelix which was fucking rancid that character sucked ass out loud and he was still getting you know one every four episodes thrown to him where he was a focal point and that was a bigger ensemble crew too wasn't it i think so yeah is mayweather worse than neelix i mean even if you factor in the stiff acting you get out of this guy even at his worst, Neelix was better than Mayweather. I mean, there were a no. couple real low points, but like gr- greasy, crappy Neelix was still, I think, more compelling to me. Greasy, crappy Neelix was great. Uh, I- petty, petulant, don't talk to my girlfriend, Tom Paris. Love triangle Neelix was really rancid. I, I will say this. I think I may start putting Mayweather ahead of Reed in my estimation but mayweather is still both of them are below the season one season two neelix in my opinion Mm. and maybe that's because i enjoyed where neelix went so much 
I'm just providing it this much more sympathy. Like, yeah, season one, season two Neelix was rough, but it gave us season seven Neelix. You know, it gave us, it gave us, uh, Tom and, and, and Neelix running a caper to reclaim their street cred Neelix. What a good episode. (laughs) Well, it was good because you didn't see that the, the show was self-aware that their criminal element had become soft and they needed to reassert themselves. It like snuck up on you that that's what the plot was going to be. That whole, that was a uh, live fast and prosper. That whole thing was just amazing. Um, so anyways, let, let's, let's go back to this uh, substantially worse series or seasons. <laughs> True. And despite the fact that, uh, you know, I've shit on Mayweather a lot. Uh, you know, as we just pointed out, it, 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 apparently we weren't the only ones paying attention. Whereas we get to season two, episode 20 before this guy is back in the focus. And I got to say, man, like I, I didn't mind him in this episode. This is the best they've gotten out of him by far. Oh, uh, on a focus episode. Sure. I would still yeah. say him in the seventh, uh, where this guy's got some hustle and, you know, some strong offensive uh, lineman abilities. Oh, I mean, the fact that in the back half of season two, they, ever, they figured out that you should have him be the guy like throwing flying body tackles and getting into phaser fights. I mean, sure. I mean, your security guy certainly can't fucking carry a scene doing that. That's why he's doing all the Will Wheaton, uh, Wesley Crusher science Olympiad stuff. This this was a cool episode. I really I'm not going to call it great, but this I'm going to put squarely into good and especially for season two, whatever shortcomings I think uh, the actor Mayweather may have in some some stiff responses or whatever. It's a interesting enough story. The supporting guest actors are good, and I feel like this is the first time that I've really seen this story specifically out of Star Trek. And in Burma era, especially, there's so many retread episodes that, you know, it you just have to build in a concession after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes across three or four different full seven season TV shows. You're going to have some retread. And this is the first time that like, hey, I was born on a space truck and I left my family. Uh, the rest of the world doesn't really like Starfleet. And I kind of have to catch shit about that. It, it's a very unique story that this show positioned itself to tell. And I don't think anything is ever going to make Travis Mayweather our favorite character here. Um, he, he is played by a tragically under uh, talented actor. Uh, but I will say uh, he, he tried real hard in this episode to give the best performance he could give. You know, the way that's the way I would describe it. There Maybe was part of it too was that the guest talent they brought in wasn't bad, but they weren't like fucking amazing to the point where they're embarrassing him in scenes. Like it yeah. all seemed within the same scope. Andy Montgomery got outacted by the rando LA theater guys that were in the last Space Trucker one, and that was a big focal point for us. And in this one, it was a bit more complimentary. The family dynamic probably helped a lot. In that everyone kind of understood where they were supposed to stand with each other. I particularly like the mom. Yes. And the way they positioned her. Like they never showed her really doing a whole lot that was like sci-fi. 
if you noticed mm-hmm. throughout the whole episode. She's supposed to not be a single engine. line of techno babble. I don't. Th- think. There was like, oh, I have to align a plasma coupling. It was real easy techno babble. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they. She was clearly there to be the mob, and so they just focused super hard on that because she, she was good at that and relating as much of it as possible to like normal, not sci-fi dialogue, you know, and the tension with his brother and all of that helps this episode tremendously, I think, is what lifted it to from something that could have been middling and, and, and ultimately not very good to something that clicked and worked and told its story effectively and, and made the best use of an actor who maybe doesn't have the strong dramatic chops you'd prefer, but was able to muster a acceptable performance that met what he was asked to do. The drama's not there, but I think he can bring the heartfelt. Yeah, he tries, dude. Like I compare this to uh, um, Harry Kim, right? Like Garrett Wang, you just like you kind of can were contemptful of him because he was so full of himself, and it it, it kind of came through his performance. This guy, he's he's earnest, man. He's trying his best. He is living his best life and he's out there with a big grin on his face trying to make this stuff happen and he's not good enough but it's like he's like a golden retriever you're like oh buddy you tried <laughs> you you know there's like oh i just want to rub your head you know like good job pal you did your best the episode starts off in a great place and that's with Mayweather upside down on the ceiling in a slow, deliberate camera pan to come around and focus on him upside down. My wife's in the room with me and instantly she's like, what, what is going on with this? Is this room a big deal? What, what, why are they spending all this time on that? And I'm like, yes, this is a big deal. This is a yeah. fucking thing. Out of- How rare. I could have never said that on Voyager. Right. There was there was no, hey, here's a cool thing that happened once and it's gone forever unless it's goddamn Fairhaven. This fucking stupid thing. Then we're going to bring that out and play with it all the time. Or, you know, uh, Janeway's bodice ripper that was trash until it started getting good. And then they fucking dumped that, too. Um, So, yeah, I was like, wow, they they're bringing the sweet spot back. And that's the I don't know what deck it is, but there's a point in the ship where gravity gets Weird, and you can get the zero G move moment. Yeah, it was something about the graph plating. It was really the intro to Travis as like a veteran space person, you know, that showed that he knew things that the the senior officers didn't understand about living on a spaceship because that's what he had done his whole life. And it was, this is the first time we've seen it since the premiere, uh, but they make good use of it a couple times, uh, and you just see him chilling out there. It's like his happy place. You know, he's reading the book and got a little bottle of water and he gets called to the bridge, but just demonstrates like this is going to be a focus episode for him. We're going to show him and and this this is still a thing. And we cut back to the action where the mission for Enterprise is actually to go back, Um, which I'm glad that they structured the episode this way because they had to explain how they would encounter the horizon, right? Well, if they're out exploring the galaxy, they're not going to run into it. Because the horizon is traveling known space lanes. So you have to go back 30 light years because there's some really interesting random stuff is happening with these planets that are going to fall into a weird orbit. And it's causes all this gravitational pull. It can create these geological events. It's very science, space science-y. And we want you to go record it. And they agree to do so. And they set up the B plot here, which is going to be more about movie night. We'll get to that later. 
But this going back enables the plot of, oh, we're going to be near where my parents' ship is. I haven't seen them in years. Captain, would it be okay for you to just drop me off and then come get me after you're done with the mission since all you're going to do is be watching fireworks? And and Archer says, yeah, of course. Archer's like, listen, I read the script. You know, normally under the prospect of we're going to go and do a uh, orbit over a volcanic planet that is spraying lava out into the space, like I would think maybe we're going to get caught in some decaying orbit and maybe, you know, flame whipped or something and really be up shit's crick. But I looked at this script. This is a safe one. We're going to be uh, we're going to be dragging to Paul to the movie. So, yeah, you go reconnect with your family. Um, it's a good opener already. I, I don't know what it is about the episode, but I'm not hating the prospect of Mayweather. And I think it's because I know this is going to be a boomer specific episode. Boomers, of course, being uh, humans that live in space outside of Starfleet. And really, this is the best opportunity for us to examine the economy and kind of the civilian life of Earth that you're certainly not going to get through the eyes of Starfleet. Unfortunately for Travis, he thinks his father's ill, but that he was on the mend. What he finds out is that unfortunately his father has died uh, and in fact died six weeks previously and the message did not get to him, uh, which, you know, that the, the, the devastation of learning as far as you're concerned quite suddenly that you're when your parents have died and it, it was over a month ago and you just never knew, you know, they tried to do a scene for that where he's up in his happy, you know, his happy space, isolating himself, having received the news and Archer has to, to go and try and, and, and counsel him. Talk about, about an HR grievance that it's time to file. Like, um, captain, you know, uh, instead of dropping me off at my parents, Ship, can we just go back to Earth so I can beat the fuck out of whatever Starfleet mailman lost the message where me, Mayweather, the helm officer for the most biggest fucking deal Starfleet ship ever. Like, we're all basically goddamn heroes. You're recording, uh, you know, video promos for kids to watch in elementary school that they couldn't take the message about my dad dying and like beeline that to me. You would think that that would be a priority, right? Like, oh, the one of the officers on our mainline exploratory vessels, uh, father has died. We should definitely let him know that happened and not sit on it for six weeks. And you, we know that Travis can hand out a beating. So whoever the fuck that guy is back on Earth, he needs to be counting his blessings. That he is too far. Those like that fist can't go the hundred extra light years and, and plant one on him. It's a real gut punch moment, and that's not something you expect to see out of a, a Star Trek, right? Like, mm -hmm. that was a real happy setup. It was. We expect that he's going to have some reconciling to do with his dad, that yeah, his family's not happy, uh, that he went Starfleet. So you've already subverted expectations because you're not going to get that, oh, son, I'm proud of you after all moment, uh, at least from the dad's lips. While... Archer's up there trying to like console uh, Mayweather. You know, it comes up that, or, you know, it gets pointed out to the audience like, I don't think my dad was very happy with me. He had been grooming me my entire life to take over for him because apparently there's like this 
I don't know how the Earth Cargo Authority works, but there must be some sort of a medieval or feudal system there where you're <laughs> the land of your father. Primogeniture is uh, the way that they uh, handle succession. I, you know, and it, I'm going to love talking about this ship, uh, the Horizon, and like the community there. But yeah, the the notion that like that's my boss's kid. I'm going to be working for him one day, even though this isn't a privately owned vessel. And I, who knows what the politics is there? But uh, Archer's like. You know, uh, I was almost like you. I really I love the idea that Archer heavily contemplated going into service of the Earth Cargo Authority prior to Starfleet being chartered. I like when uh, Mayweather go to like press him on that. He's like, well, that's a story from another time. And I'm like, well, that's a fucking story I want to hear. And I hope that's a story you never tell me because I'm sure whatever's in my head is better than whatever fucking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh- Brag, I can only make it worse, right? Like, you, 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 whatever's in your mind is going to be better. Sad, but true. And then he also says, well, listen, you know, I know for a fact your dad was proud of you. Um, you know, there were a couple of helm officers that I was considering. I reached out to their former XOs, which was your dad in your case. And he replied back with uh, only one sentence. He's the best uh, wheel and rudder man I've ever seen. And if you don't pick him, you're an idiot. It, you know, that classic gruff dad thing. And, you know, the I think the best line that Anthony uh, uh, Montgomery has ever laid down on the show so far is that plantative look on his face. It's like, I just wish you would have told me that, you know, like the, it's that's a very relatable moment he's going through where anyone who's ever had a father in their life that has difficulty uh, sharing their emotions with him. It, it can be a lot to try and process, particularly in their passing. So that was well executed. I like that scene. I like what Archer, the role Archer tried to play there as like a, a father-like figure. This it, is hot on the heels of Archer in Ceasefire. Ceasefire has been the best Archer we've seen so far. Uh, this Archer is right up there with him. Scott Bakula knows how to play this guy. He plays him well. And, you know, this ties into comments that Archer made previously when he was talking with Reed, I want to say in Minefield, about, um, you know, I used to have, you know, ball buster commanding officers that they wanted to be excluded from the crew or whatever. And I knew, (laughs) or at least I was under the impression this was going to be seven seasons, a seven year (laughs) mission. Uh, We needed to be a family. And I needed to approach my crew differently. This is a great expression of that type of leadership style that uh, Archer is looking to impart on his crew. Not a not a iota of petulance to be found here. With uh, that, uh, Trip sees him off. He gives him a, a photo album to give his mom because Trip understands what moms want, and and sends him off after they encounter the. A horizon. And then we have a firm separation of the A plots and B plots from this point forward. Well, hold on. There's a couple other things. This trip scene was great. Trip being an engineer and uh, someone to appreciate the vintage stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. That little note of like, I would just want to see it because like Zephyr wonder- Cochran signed the inside of the warp. How fucking cool is that? Yeah. The, the J series that, you know, Zephyr and Cochran designed that engine and, and he was initialing the inside of the fucking warp core casings. Amazing. And that's also, you know, very clearly trip like understanding this guy's grieving over his uh, dead father and trying to like 
not hey buddy him, but uh, I think commiserate as a man would. You know, I'm, I'm going to make a statement here that I think that Trip is the most intelligent. I'm sorry, emotionally intelligent person on the show. This is the uh, this is the Troy for this ship. This is the Chakotay. This is the guy that sees the hurt and tries to fix it. And I, you know, they've paired that with DePaul usually. Uh, the other one, the Vulcan Cenobites, the pudgy Vulcan whose yeah. dad was a senator. Same type deal. Like this is this is the shoulder that finds you to cry on it. I think I, I would liken him to Chicote specifically, in that like he's he's not like a professional, but he's the most real guy. And you know? he throws a hell of a right hook. Hey, laid Travis right the fuck out. <laughs> and Travis reptile. Yeah, Dolby's better find. Uh, but Dolby better hope. Uh, Grandpa <laughs> Dolby better never be around this guy. Great Grandpa Dolby, he might catch one across the mouth too. Uh, but yeah, I like that they gave him pictures. Like your mom's gonna want these. You know, also, like, there's a picture of my dick there in case she wants that. <laughs> Travis doesn't go for moms; he goes for aliens. We know that. Well, it's not about what Travis goes for; it's what goes for Travis. Oh. Oh, well, for I'm sorry, I meant to say trip. Trip, trip doesn't go for moms. Trip goes for aliens. Hmm. But. I hope Travis isn't trying to. Fuck I was going to say, I went to a terrible place on accident <laughs> there, and it's staying in. I'll own that one. The rest of the, the internet's going to see me fuck that up. So uh, Travis gets to the horizon and starts his plot, and then the rest of the, the B plot happens. You want to talk about the B plot now and get out of the way? Let's wind it back. Uh, okay. Travis is happy that he's going to get to go hang out with his uh, family, and then we're going to bring in this kind of messy B plot. We're going to call the C plot the science mission. The B plot is there's going to be a movie night. And uh, this is a continuation of the last catwalk, time. catwalk yeah. which uh, was the beginning of T'Pol coming out of her shell and starting to fraternize with the crew. But it's been a while. So she's walked that back a little bit. Um, we're going to be in this long mission. It's going to be kind of uneventful. We're running movie night every night. You're going to love it. We're watching all these movies straight out of the Universal Studios Paramount uh, allowed <laughs> discussion points in in the uh, public sphere, like no longer copyrighted or something. You know, it's all going to be old stuff because that mm-hmm. way you can show it and not have to pay royalties. And it's going to be Frankenstein. And I did like that they seem to be dialing in at this point that it is trip. And to Paul, that has to be your pairing, right? That's There's what been- you would think until they get muddy deeper in this this plot, and all of a sudden, Archer's the date. It feels like Archer came in to like just further convince her to go, yes, so that there could be more flirting between to Paul and Trip. Like they see that that seemed to be a real. This episode is a real handoff of the idea of clearly to Paul and Archer are not going to be our couple, but trip and Archer def- or trip and Archer. <laughs> That's another one. Mm. Uh, trip and to Paul need to be the pairing. And it starts with him trying to get her to go. And it's getting a little bit more than camaraderie. It's becoming very flirtatious, particularly on trips part And to Paul's like her, her eyes kind of get big and her like caution around that of like, Oh God, no, <laughs> Like, please don't flirt with me. You know, but I, it's not maybe, maybe she likes it and you know, she doesn't really want to confront that right now. I, you know, it's hard to know, but this is, this is it. This is where it finally begins. 
I, I couldn't nitpick and say, you know, they should have been further along with that, but they haven't necessarily touched it recently. And I think this is a good place to remind the audience um, this is going to be a thing. So yeah, it was just enough too. wasn't too much. They didn't go too far. It was just Trip is clearly flirting with DePaul in the way that he likes to flirt, which is like being a little contentious and sarcastic and, and, and but, you know, at the same time, engaging. Nerd and we should, you know. We should start a book club, and then he shits on that. You know, but he's the like... The first time i ever heard a Star Trek character shit on books, but... Okay. <laughs> it's, especially because Frankenstein is a classic example of how different the film is from the book. Hmm. And, like, to Paul's point, is extremely well-founded, and that the novel is actually a, a, a great deal more interesting philosophically for an elevated people than the than the movie. <laughs> and then he just trips his shits all over it because he's from Florida. So there's a great there. there's no reading in Florida. They're not they're not literate people. <laughs> they got plenty of roller coasters. You don't need books. Um, I don't know who the conversations between, but uh, reads one of the parts and maybe maybe trips the other one. They're discussing the uh, life on the horizon. Oh yeah, that was right before um, Travis goes to the horizon. It was him and and Reed being like. I'm glad there's no families here. I'd need a counselor on board. Very clear, like, you know, reference to TNG. Yeah. Yeah. I like and it. it did re- and it did reflect that Reed isn't distant from his family. Right. Like, yeah, you know that too. Been 10 years since there's been a family reunion and, you know, what was uh, Mayweather saying? It's been four years since he's seen his or maybe a little less. Yeah. Four years. So, yeah, it's good reinforcement on Reed, but I, I enjoyed the the laugh at early 24th uh you know tng season one through six basically the pre-borg fucking dominion war where they're like hey no more families on ships and also (laughs) that was a terrible idea enterprise e no no families Mm -hmm. just just fucking (laughs) with quantum torpedoes Mm -hmm. and really Uh, good holodecks so you know the, the the movie night stuff goes down they get her to go you know, she gets into it a little bit. She even has popcorn and tells flocks to shut the fuck up. Popcorn and bowls. No more eating out of pans, glass pans. Glass. They've, uh, they've learned dish. to get a bowl. It was mm-hmm. nice. And, you know, they have dinner and, and she's relating Frankenstein to being a Vulcan and having to deal with humans. And that's the joke, right? Like, that's the that's what they're setting up. And it's really just let's plant a seed that Trip is flirting with DePaul and DePaul is not is is aware of this at least it, you know in her expression and her hesitance and this is something that will develop again later nice example of a complimentary b plot that is not fighting the a plot and does not stick out like a sore thumb similar to the aids episode or the episode where the ship is being invaded by butt demons and they're trying to find out what reed's favorite cake is yeah so good job uh, calibrating your A plot to your B plot, <laughs> Mr. Baranis, you're you're on a great track there. Well, let's get back to the good stuff, and that is our plot on the horizon, which so, is a redressed Enterprise apparently, and they did a great job with the aesthetics on this ship. It's my favorite part of the fucking episode. It looks like an old, worn-out space truck. Yeah, it looks like a beat-up old Portageon without being like haunted housey it kind of felt like almost like it looked like battlestar galactica 
I, it, had, it had a similar vibe with like the worn out like panels that you know had like warnings on it but it's like you know that was 25 years ago and like the the sort of dirty dirtied metal uh, everywhere and you got guys just like randomly working on lights that are going out you know because mm-hmm. it's old it's, it's business been they don't got in. money to spend on brand new parts. You got to reuse the old stuff. And that means it's going to break more frequently. And you're going to have people doing frequent repairs. We come into a walk and talk. It's uh, Mayweather talking to his mom, who is a chief engineer and also the head medical officer. And uh, she's given us some continuity. They're talking about some of the shit that Mayweather's gone through. Uh, they talk about what they talk about. Uh, catwalk. Right. That comes up a few times that they had to hide up in the cells. There's some other shit. I was really hoping like, what's this? I heard about you got abducted by Ascension truck stop and they were stealing all your brain grease. (laughs) (laughs) I was hoping that would that would be a running gag of like, I heard about this. I heard about this. They did actually bring up the Romulan minefield. So she could have known about the brain grease, you know, Mm -hmm. but they do walk and talk with with uh, with Travis's mom, who we mentioned already is God. what if they would have brought up the first trucker justice episode and criticized him for getting involved and in saying that, you know, you should have wiped those fucking Nausicans out. That would have been some good flack for someone to throw at him. I like that. This is more of a family vessel though. Like that, that was like a bunch of, you know, living on the edge sort of outlaw guys. This has been a tighter run ship because it's a family affair and everyone's very tight here and it's more collegial. And you get that because the mom is super good at being a mom up to and including finding her son's old things and putting it in his room when he comes home, which is total mom fucking move. And, you know, trying to like, you just want to stay close to him. Like all my boys home, you know, they, they do that. They demonstrate Travis is well liked by the other crew members. He, you know, meets a guy in the the hall. Like, Hey Travis, good to see you, bud. Come to the mess hall. Let's hang out. Let's get a beer. You know, like that sort of, he was a, guy that everyone liked on the ship uh we even get uh one of his childhood friends you know like shows up to his quarters and like you know relates and tells them things that's been going on so he was a very clear... clean looking for a space trucker by the way i might add very well yes everyone is still hollywood here <laughs> <laughs> and you get more of the aesthetic which is like these are guys in kind of just normal civilian gear and the the guys who are officers, or maybe they got like a nice collared shirt on and a belt, but that's as far <laughs> as it goes. The, and they got forklifts. They're doing business. That fucking forklift, those side loads. Uh, I've I've had to work around those. Those are miserable. And I'm sure whatever guy they had operating that, that'd be interesting. Was that an actor or did they just get a crew guy and be like, here, how would Hollywood handle that? Hmm. Oh, I mean, with the unions, you got to know that guy's got a forklift operating license and he probably gets like scale pay for the day because he was so on camera. Would he have to be in SAG to be in there or no? because he didn't talk? Guy... He's not doesn't have to be in SAG. He did not have a hmm. line. That'd be a smart way to get into Hollywood. Be like, I have all these for real blue collar skills and I'm going to be in SAG and like, I'm an actor. But that's how I sell myself. I was like, yeah, I'm OSHA certified on this stuff. Sure. Jeremy yeah. Boring, who's the guy who co-owns the Daily Wire. Uh, with Ben Shapiro got his SAG card because when he was on a movie production, he was the only one who could ad lib an entire prayer because he was Christian and no one else was. That's how he got into SAG is that he was, he was an extra and they like had this whole thing and they didn't have someone to do it and they didn't have it written. And he volunteered and said, this is what I would do. And they're like, 
Taff Hartley him in the SAG immediately and put him on camera. Hmm. Made his whole career. <laughs> and the movie didn't even get finished. <laughs> so you never know. There could be a grift there for someone to take advantage of. And probably someone has. It is L.A. But the in that scene, though, is when we meet Mayweather's uh, brother, Paul, who is, I guess, the antagonist of the episode? Kind of really? Yeah, it's an interesting ship. You definitely have this family component. It was Mayweather's father. That was the captain. Uh, He was supposed to succeed him. He went off to Starfleet instead. And instead of the mom, you know, they they wanted the next generation. So Paul. So there is this family there. But then, as you said, there's all these other people. I'd be very interested in knowing what the crew complement of the horizon is realistically supposed to be, because it seems like there's dozens yeah, it seemed like there was quite a few people on the ship. I'm going to check the memory alpha to see if it actually says ECS Horizon. Still nothing. Memory beta even let us down. So it doesn't say. It doesn't say. So you've got this feudal system of inheritance. Are the rest of the people there presumed to be paid? Maybe Mayweather did own it. Again, the whole how do I get a spaceship uh, following the Vulcan arrival and man's ascent into space you know nobody could afford that it'd have to be this earth's cargo authority so maybe they're on charter they're like you know i I don't it's interesting yeah they don't flesh that out and i wish they had of like how this is supposed to work and if it's ownership because this is before the the post-scarcity economy right like sure before replicators maybe ownership is still a thing maybe that is why paul is the captain because it is an inherited asset so one of the things we're going to find out is that Paul's not exactly growing into his role as smoothly as people would like. Uh, Mayweather's mom doesn't bring it up, but some of his childhood friends, you know, innate that the crew's been on edge. Things are not running according to schedule. Uh, some of that's because the violent, no, the abrupt means or uh, way that his dad died and he didn't have a traditional manifest. So they're just missing cargoes. Uh, They're missing meeting and arrivals, and it's getting bad. And Earth Cargo Authority is starting to take notes. So everybody's on edge. So Travis first starts by trying to be a healthy McHelperson and just try and do some upgrades to, like, the thrusters so the the place runs a little bit bit more smoother. You know, it's a smoother ride. He's trying to apply some of the things he's learned in Starfleet to, uh, you know, uh, tighten the, the screws on on the horizon, and Paul is very resistant to that. To the point where he d- tells Travis to stop helping, and is very. Uh, it's where they build the tension that he is resentful. He's representing his the the resentment that Travis thought his father had about him leaving. Right, like this is the reception he expected to receive from his dad. He found out from Archer, his dad actually encouraged and enabled him to join Starfleet. And now it is his younger brother that is really representing that spot and doesn't want his Starfleet assistance in operating the ship. And that goes back to our first episode with the boomers where they were also uh, resistant to help from Starfleet and not really liking the organization and this ultimately leads to more very interesting detail about the follow-on effects of Starfleet's existence, particularly in finding crew members that would be willing to work for the Cargo Authority, which I thought was very interesting. Very interesting. And the line there is, um, this is kind of when they start 
things start boiling over and Paul real talks him a little bit and says, you know, you and your precious Starfleet, nobody wants to run freight. They want to go off and explore the galaxy with their personal chef. And it's true. You know, Archer had been considering getting into space by being a space trucker. Uh, Starfleet gets founded and now you've got this uh, much more well-funded, exciting, cleaner, more prestigious life like yeah that that's that's exactly things that they were beating around the bush on um back in trucker justice i mean you think about if you are in the just having invented warp drive earth getting its shit together period before starfleet's invented if you're interested in space travel if you're interested in exploring the galaxy being a space trucker was your only option Right. Like, that's it. It's just commerce is the real way to get in there. We're not exploring. Right. And so if you want to go do things, you either be a colonist or a trucker. And if you're a colonist, you're stuck on whatever planet you went to. So you'd be a trucker. And that meant that everyone that had that desire to like, I want to go see the galaxy. That sounds awesome. Really had one place to go. And that meant you got to pick from a lot of good talent of people who had that impulse. Well, now you can actually for real join an organization that's devoted entirely just to exploration. And you don't have to go on a slow ship between places that everyone's been to already, you know, slinging deuterium or whatever the fuck is that you're shipping from one place to another. And that novelty of that travel is no longer going to drive people towards being there. And Travis is, is the last of a breed of people who are going to be useful because of that experience, right? Like he's good right now, but in 10 years, you're not going to need old space truckers to help you in your first steps into a larger world. Take it a step further too. All the space truckers used to be wide eyed uh, dreamers that wanted to get up in the stars and do cool shit. And they jumped early and here they are on their, uh, 20-year-old spaceship that's falling apart and you're getting picked on by pirates and everything else. And now you see Starfleet come around and they got shiny brand new ships with uh, cool laser guns and clean uniforms and they're, you know, going out and doing things that no one else has ever done before. You know, seeking out new life and new civilizations. And there you are, stuck on your rust bucket. I'd be butthurt about it. If I was Paul, I'd be like, well, fuck, man. Maybe I wanted to join goddamn starfleet and because you ran off now i'm stuck here because we both can't go to starfleet yeah because someone had to take the ship that's that's what's missing in this episode for me is that the conflict is never really fleshed out personally and as a result there's no real growth and there's no new like real resolution like did Paul want to be the the captain? I'm guessing not. Like there needed to be like I never wanted this life. This never should. I should have been fucking Prince Harry off banging movie stars and embarrassing the family. Instead, you joined the fucking Marines, and now I'm doing all this shit that I was never prepared for. Fuck you. You've ruined my life. Yeah, I could have used a little bit of tension. Like Paul seemed to be really mad despite being given you know the praxis over the vessel, and I felt like. just that kind of like generic approach wasn't quite right. I agree with you that a personal grievance was necessary here to say you leaving left me holding the bag. And maybe it was even a, I was, I, my entire life as you know, we're 
they look like they're close in age. I expected that we would do it together. Like you and me, brothers making the making the dream work together in space. And you left me alone to inherit this responsibility. And then dad just up and died and you weren't here. Like that, you just just a little bit of that, you know. Just we were supposed to, be, you know, we were supposed to be doing this as a team. Now Sacrifice I'm by myself. The whole B plot and and give me this, yeah. And I get that's a dangerous bridge to walk down and saying, hey, we've got again a very compelling character in Travis Mayweather. Uh, our actor portraying it is not the best, and maybe the light that we've cast this character in, instead of being like grizzly old, uh, you know. Chief Sailor of the boat, chief, chief of the yeah. boat type guy. And we went with this guy who seems a little too clean cut and a little too bright eyed or whatever. But this would have been a great component to take Mayweather as he exists and really take him to the next level. But yeah, hey, last time we had Mayweather on for a feature episode, uh, people 20 years in the future laughed and shit all over it. Uh, <laughs> we can't commit another full episode to this guy because we don't know. Uh, how that's going to work out, but I absolutely agree. And I think that could have given Mayweather a lot more depth. A lot of cool stuff could have happened. It's good as it stands. It could have been way better. Um, Things are not great on the ship. Uh, You know, these repairs that he's doing are trying to improve the quality of life. Paul, I think makes a very valid argument says, listen, leave the fucking ship alone. You might have advanced knowledge and training that, you know, your buddy, your space fleet buddies are showing you. You're not around to fix this stuff. We're fucked. And that's a big concern that we've seen in Boomer life is that you are all you have. There's no rescue vessels waiting to help. So, yeah, living outside your means, it's a dangerous proposition. And that's going to tie into the real threat they face. And that is space pirates. Yes. Good old space pirates. They decided to roll up, tag them so that the mothership could come by later. Travis's. Training has come in handy, and then he's able to identify a dicobalt device, a clear antecedent to the precious tricobalt devices of Voyager, and that it is a beacon for a big old super pirate ship to show up and take all their shit. Which has happened before to the USS... The ECS Constellation. Constellation. No relation to the Enterprise. Uh... (laughs) So uh, in that case, the pirates found them, demanded that they surrender all their cargo and uh, basically bullied them out. So, you know, the space bullying thing. And again, back to um, trucker justice, whatever the hell that one was called, was Nausicans. Same type of deal, right? You're trying to schlep shit back and forth. There's a bunch of aliens out that aren't too happy about the new kids on the block. You got busted ass old 20 year old phase. I'm sorry, plasma cannons or whatever. We don't have those. Uh, new spangled phase phasers. So uh, we got to play it safe. And I did like that. Paul is conservative and I don't want to say a pussy, but he plays it safe. Right. It would have been very easy for him just to be a fucking lunatic that um, Travis would have to, to walk in. It's rare in this type of a dynamic where the, you know, the one, the prodigal son returns that, that that the 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 son who stayed plays it too safe. And it's also, I think they they took a right line here, which is Travis didn't have to save the day entirely. He I mean he's proven right. He offers to upgrade the weapons. That's where the conflict comes in where, you know, he lays down the you're taking all the good talent and you're leaving us out uh, high and dry uh conversation and you know 
comes up with a plan of like this is how we can defend ourselves. And ultimately they use that plan. When they come back, instead of just wanting the car- cargo, they want the whole ship. Paul says no. But then as soon as like the, the stakes are known, he goes, all right, let's fight. Let's do it. Hop I'm in sorry, the what chair. What were you saying about uh, you patch the, the fucking guns into the, the warp drive? Yeah, let's you fucking make go, boys. Throwers. You can make that <laughs> coils out of red alert, too. <laughs> Detach the cable. We are fighting. And he Paul makes the right choice to embrace Travis's expertise in precisely the way that he can implement it, which is through his know-how to make their weapons better, and then through driving the ship, which proves he's a good captain because he realized the correct decision to make and then made that decision happen, which is like, good. You didn't beclown the guy. You didn't set it up that, like, Travis had to, like, captain the ship and prove that he was better and then, like, gave it to him anyway. No, no. Paul proved himself. He made the right call, (laughs) shifted gears, fought him off, told him to fuck off after they, they, they blew up their weapons. And then it was like, all right, let's get going. You know, like, good. He proved himself up to the task. I could have gone for a really dark moment where, like, you know, they disabled the aliens and, like, all right, you know, here's the comms. Instead of being like, you know, think twice next time. It's like, you fucked with the wrong ship. Shoot them while they're down. Kill them all. Genocide them. <laughs> and then Travis, like, oh, shit. What, are you evil? <laughs> Too many renegade options in my Mass Effect playthrough. Paul blows him up and then puts on his new coat and has a standing collar and he's got jack boots. And he's like, oh, fuck, you're a space Nazi. My own brother. Damn. It comes up several times and I'm I'm not a space mathematician. Maybe Jack or one of those other. Taryn, maybe. Taryn. <laughs> yeah. Like, the I, I don't know how impulse works. Like the idea of we can't hit or warp specifically. Like we can't hit warp two because our cargo is too heavy. I'm like. Is that how a warp field works? Does mass really come into play on? Because you're not really propelling your. Are you are you folding space and warp? Or are you moving yourself? I think we're. I think we're asking Taryn to give us a 15 minute monologue. But I'll. I'll I'm. I'm down. Does, I'm ready. I'm ready to be educated on this. Does jettisoning car? And again, we're over here arguing. Is the fucking hole on the top of the ship uh, a hole that people can go through? Right. We're over here asking, like, well, in your warp theory, does your mass have any? I can tell you in mass effect, it doesn't. You know, they did a good job. Fucking Ezo explains all the all the. the... I think it's supposed to because I, I think there is a consistent line through Star Trek that large ships have difficulty going higher warp and and stabilizing a state, a stable warp field to go at the higher warp yeah. speeds. So I think that it does, but I'm 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 happy and actually looking forward to one of our fans, and we know all the ones that might take us up on it. We're calling Terran out because of the Fairhaven episode, but there's a number of potential takers here, and I'm looking forward to seeing which I'm one goes for it. I'm gonna have my two X playback ready. <laughs> if there's a video or audio yeah. version, yeah. I, I'm pledging my time to it. I might go at one and a half speed though. Kind of finishing up on the Mayweather uh, line. I I don't buy the conversation that he has with her mom. I I don't know any mom out there. You'd be like, oh, son, I'm happy to have. You. No, it's good to see you again, but you should not come back. Clearly, we should yeah. keep your inferior brother in charge of everybody's life. Like if, if my mom is any indication, uh, the the thought of moving back to the, uh, the same city that she lives in is something she would be overjoyed to hear. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, yes, come back. You're Maybe my child. I would like you to be around. While they were hiding in the warp core for what six weeks? And where Maybe. he got his brain. <laughs> Maybe it <laughs> up a little bit too. And you know, where another mama be like, oh honey, yes, I would love if you come back. She'd, no, don't come back. Stay in Starfleet. Go get abducted by space spider people and cocooned. Get your brain greases sucked out by that evil truck stop. Yeah, especially a mom who's aware of the space hazards her son has been really yes, Please stay away from those fucking psychos in Starfleet that send you into danger after danger. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I liked I liked the line of like, you know, it they was used to prove of, you know, that Travis's dad was took over the ship at a young age and he struggled and it opened the door for Travis to like accept Paul's leadership and, and for Paul to demonstrate his capability. That part worked, but yeah, the mom part, maybe not so much. Good CGI. Yeah. The, uh, the battle sequence was good. They, they, they went fancy on it. And uh, between that and the sweet spot, you know, two servings of zero G pretty cool. Jumping back over to, well, uh, just to finish up the Mayweather, finally they get back. I don't get it because, like, there's a conversation. Uh, it's like Marauders. Like, hey, here's the, all the rest of the stuff, our, our space farm juice. You can have it all cool. Well, we're going to leave in a shuttlecraft and not bother to pick it up. And this one, Mayweather's like, listen, man, you sure you don't want some Starfleet help? Because that was going back to Space Trucker Justice. We We don't want your help, even though we very clearly need it. Finally, his brother relents, and he's like, yeah, cool. And also, you know, Trip wants to come over and see the ship. Uh oh, we're out of time. You know what? Fuck you. We're out. We're not. We're not touching any of this stuff. You're not getting any help. We're not repairing anything. And also, to the point where Archer's like, "Hey, it looks like your ship got fucked up, but you guys got attacked. Is everything okay?" Like, you know, we're we're military. Like, part of what we're doing out here, I think, is supposed to be like fending space pirates away. Nah, everything's fine. No, no, that made perfect sense to me. You know why? Travis is not a snitch. <laughs> Travis is not. A snitch. He knows that his people want to take care of shit. He's gone through two space trucker episodes where the space truckers just want to handle their own shit and have Starfleet stay out of it. He's learned. Go back and to so Marauders. So he's like, you know what? Nah, it was all good. You know? Go, go back to Marauders. You know what, Captain? There's one thing you showed me. It's that you can slightly embarrass a, uh, a uh, superior military foe. And that they will take the L, be cool with it, and then leave you alone forever and ever. That's what you taught me, Cap. I'm sure my family's fine. These dudes, who, by the way, the help that uh, Trip, or I'm sorry, that that Mayweather was going to get Trip to help with, was pulling the fucking explosive homing beacon off. Oh, that's this true. This is yeah. an insane ending. What is what is what's going on here? You've got a fucking bomb that is a dog leash. <laughs> Being held oh, by you're right. you're murderers, right. and your mom's on the ship. Your okay, fucking mom yeah. might be hunted down, literally hunted down and fucking killed. No, I can't. Everything's fine. Okay, you have a good point about the bomb. The bomb is still on the ship. They even talk about all the bombs. Not is still just on the bomb, ship. the homing beacon, and yeah. also a bomb. And then that say like, sh- yeah, I'm sure Reed will take it off for you, and then they just fucking punt on it. You're right. That is that is a bit much. Oh, I alien. It's Travis not being a snitch, but that is a little too far. Alien pirate captain. That sucks. They blew our engines up. You want to hunt them down and fuck them up and enslave everybody? Nah, you know what? Just set that bomb off. Fuck those guys. Just blow those motherfuckers up. They beat our ass the last time. We learned a lesson. I'm a smart evil captain. Just just blow them up. Like the one from Catwalk. (laughs) 
Yeah, only this guy's got a goddamn bomb on their warp nacelle. Uh, Flip back over to the movie night thing. There was some cool... hmm, Don't want to call it cool. There was some interesting, very clearly uh, EMH-related, like, ah, I'm Flox, and I'm talking about, uh, you know, Frankenstein, and it's interesting, and there's alien species out there already doing reanimation. After yeah, but, death resuscitation but, is clearly a thing, we're we're sticking to it, and by the twenty fourth century, holograms are going to be people bringing people back to life at the drop of a hat. Here's Federation standard post mortem revival protocols. That is a lot. That is a direct quote. Mm-hmm. Frankensteining but, for short. Well, what Frankenstein of an episode are we watching next week? We're going to move into. Season two, episode twenty-one, "The Breach." Here's a dude, and he's wearing his, uh, you know, standard lazy fucking wool outfit. This is a Chris Black and Job Sheep Seben, Dan McCarthy. Uh oh, Dunky McNeil, Robert Duncan McNeil coming in while Enterprise rescues three Denoblian scientists from a planet now under a xenophobic government. Doctor Flox must treat a patient with racist views against his people. This one is a, as you can expect, Flox-oriented episode and gives a ton of Denoblian, like, background. Good, um, last time we got it, I liked what I saw. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how you take this one, my friend. And thank you so much to everyone for listening to another episode of Egypt, please. And we will see you next time.